If you're a Neil Young fan, you may have been sad to see his back catalogue slowly disappearing from Spotify over the last week. It's all because of a very public spat between the streaming service and Neil Young. Irish Times arts and culture editor Hugh Linehan has been following the row over recent days. Well, the row was about Joe Rogan. Who is, by most measures, the world's most popular podcaster. You and I can only dream of the numbers who he reaches every day. 11 million regular listeners. Hello, everybody. I have an announcement. The podcast is moving to Spotify. He was already extremely popular when, two years ago, they paid him $100 million to exclusively stream his podcast on their service. It was a real headline grabber. It will be free to you. You just have to go to Spotify to get it. We're very excited. The reason why Neil Young has been upset with Spotify over Joe Rogan is specifically about coverage of the COVID vaccine, which, as you know, is a very hot topic issue. I've gone through the virus. I have immunity. I also have antibodies. I just checked them last week. And Joe Rogan has been widely accused from various quarters of misrepresenting the science, of having guests on who utter falsehoods and misinformation about the dangers of the COVID vaccine. And this is the reason why Neil Young last week sent an open letter saying that it was either him or Joe who was going to have to go. And so far, it's Neil Young who's gone. I'm Connor Pope, and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today... Neil Young versus Joe Rogan and Spotify. What difference does it make? Hugh, can we talk a bit more about Joe Rogan and his enormous appeal? What do his audience see in him? I think you probably need to, um, and we are on a podcast, so I think a lot of people listening will know this, think a little bit about podcasts and how they differ from other forms of media, radio, television or or anything else. It's a very intimate kind of a medium. It's very personality based a lot of the time. Um, the advantages it has over other media is that people can go on and on and on in a way that they're not allowed to on radio, for example. And Joe Rogan takes advantage of all of that. He has a very particular kind of a voice. He covers all kinds of things. He's a commentator on mixed martial arts fighting. He's been a stand-up comedian. He does these incredibly lengthy podcasts with all kinds of people, people from the entertainment industry, sports people, and also people in politics and issues of the day, particularly American issues of the day. He's a sort of a self-taught opinionator. He draws on his own life experiences to talk to other people about, about their lives and their beliefs. My sneaky little fucking kid, you know what she did? She screen recorded um, my wife when my wife went and put in a password <laughs> for her screen time. Yeah. Nice, nice move. Very nice move. She handed her phone over. The kind of subject matter that he covers and the way in which he covers it um, seems to appeal to particular demographics, in particular young men. Men under 25 are the most significant mm. part of his audience. And in recent years, he has been criticised from some quarters for his take on certain controversial issues. There's no such thing as climate, right? Climate and everything are the same word. And I, that's what bothers me about the climate change types. It's like I had a bit of a listen when I was out for my morning constitutional to this conversation he had with Jordan Peterson, who is a, who is a very controversial figure and himself also appeals to, uh, to young men under 35. That conversation was four and a half hours four long. Four and a half hours. So that's, you know, that's, that's quite a commitment, you know. And I did listen to about an hour of it. I have to say, some of it was quite entertaining and some of it was quite interesting. But your models aren't based on everything. 
your models are based on Warming. a set number of variables. Yeah. So that means you've reduced the variables, which are everything, to that set. And I'd also have to say, mm. because Peterson is a controversial figure in himself, Rogan did push back on some of the things that Peterson was saying about climate change. Co- the, what, what human beings are doing that's causing the Earth to warm. Right, so right. But you have to include all these factors in the models to determine yeah. that. All these factors. Well, what can you not include? So it was quite entertaining, but also I got a bit bored yeah. after a while because some of it was just like pub talk, frankly. Yeah, well, four and a half hours is very long. You'd want to be extremely illuminating and interesting to engage somebody for that length of time. But it's interesting that you said he pushed back against Peterson because Joe Rogan isn't, as some people might believe, a right-wing shock jock in the mould of many of the anti-vaxxer COVID conspiracy camp people. In fact, he's not even anti-vax. So what was it that he said that caused Neil Young such concern? Well, one reason was that he had this uh, this particular guest on who was involved in the development, actually, of the mRNA vaccine technology, which drove two of the main vaccines which are being used for COVID at the moment. Please tell everybody what your history is and what your, what your degrees are and what you do. Okay, so I'm going to do the short version. Okay. Um, so, you know, this can last for an hour um, if we go into the whole history of mRNA vaccines and all that kind of stuff. This virologist, Robert Malone, um, has expressed serious reservations about the COVID vaccines and has made certain statements about the COVID vaccines, which on the scientific basis are not true. For example, on this podcast, when he was on with Joe Rogan, he said that uh, hospitals in the United States uh, receive financial incentives to falsely diagnose deaths as, be- as having been caused by, by COVID-19. I think it's like 3000 bucks. If someone is hospitalized and able to be declared COVID positive, they also receive a bonus. I think the total is something like 30000 in incentive if somebody gets put on the vent. And he also made an assertion about the way in which world leaders had, I quote, hypnotized the public into supporting vaccines. So the first one of those is factually incorrect. The second one of those is is a strong opinion, which, in my opinion, is not borne out by the facts. So that was that particular podcast. And it's not the only one, but that's the one that provoked a bit of a storm and a petition, a letter from almost 300 scientists and doctors um, uh, complaining to Spotify. Um, and of course, there is a there is a really interesting question in this which is, what is the responsibility of Spotify? If you on this podcast had Robert Malone on uh, and he said some of these things and they weren't questioned, people would have, would have legitimate questions about what responsibility that the Irish Times bore for that. And the same would be true if we published a, an article by the, by, the, by the same professor. Does the same apply to Spotify? Spotify very often tries to shield itself with the same defence which is used by the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter and so on. You know, we're not publishers, People publish here and we'll take stuff down if we're if we're told afterwards that it's a problem. But surely it's a little bit different if they've paid them $100 million. That makes them closer, in my mind, to a publisher in, in that case. So there are some interesting questions there about who's responsible. And what did Rogan say when he was told that the hospitals were incentivized to falsely report COVID deaths or whatever it might be? Did he push back on it or did he just accept it as a fact? Not really. He didn't really push back on it. The extreme example, just to to show the absurdity, um, if the patient comes in with a bullet hole to the head and they do a nose swab and they come up PCR positive, they're determined to have died from COVID when in fact they died from lead poisoning. That's real? Yeah. 
So they've really done that with gunshot victims. Car I don't know about victims. yeah, yeah for for sure trauma and other things. I, I've seen that said, but I've always thought that's ridiculous. There's no way a hospital it's, would do it's that. It's not. It's not. You're quite right to say that he's not. You know, he's not the sort of alt-right extremist that we're we're familiar with, unfortunately, over the last few years. He's not even, you know, he's not even a an American right winger in the mold of mm. of Fox News. I think he more much more styles himself as a as a free thinker who'll say any, you know, he's not going to be prevented from saying what he wants to say, and sometimes those things will upset snowflakes like Neil Young or indeed, you know, <laughs> other other sorts of people. But I think it's true to say that there is some validity to the criticism that over the last couple of years on a couple of issues, he has, and you'd really have to, you know, go through and decode all these podcasts to, to see how serious this is. But he is, he's, he's become a little Trumpier, I suppose would be the, the shorthand mm. version of it when covering American politics as the culture wars go deeper and deeper. So he has a tendency in my listing, and I have to say, I don't listen to him all the time. I really don't. I don't, I don't have the time. Yeah. But he has a tendency to kind of construct a, a sort of a sentence where it'll be sort of, um, of course, you know, none of us like Donald Trump, but my God, Joe Biden's making a mess of things, you know. Um, so there's a there's yeah. a little bit of a leaning here and there. There is a, an openness and an enthusiasm to certain kinds of anti-vax opinion, which is slightly at variance with pro-vaccine people who he has had on, it should be said, you know. So it's not a question of it's not a stream mm. of propaganda, but there is a general sense. And maybe, you know, the reality is that that probably reflects both the division of opinion in the United States and if the majority of his listeners are young men and probably predominantly young white men, that probably reflects their own opinions from what we know about American politics these days. Mm. And of course, raging against the corporate machine is not new for Neil Young. And going right back to the 1980s, he was railing against the commercialisation of music. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's funny, you know, Neil Young uh, has always been extremely political. I mean, go all the way back to those classic albums, which most people will know after the gold rush and harvest and think about songs like Ohio, about the the shooting of Mm. students at Kent State or uh, Southern Man about white supremacism. But in the 1980s, which, of course, were supposed to be, you know, very apolitical uh, for music compared to the 60s and the the 70s, they weren't apolitical for Neil Young. He was always kind of picking up on, on political issues, which maybe nobody else spotted. So very famously, you know, around the time of the launch of MTV, when music was very glossy and commercial, Neil Young uh, released a song called This Notes For You, which was a spoof on This Buds For You. which was attacking the commercial sponsorship, which was attaching itself more and more to to live gigs and to bands and to festivals. Let's talk about some of the issues on the album. For instance, we'll start off with this Notes For You, the title track, Corporate Sponsorship. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's not for me. It's for other people. He didn't stop it by his boycott (laughs) not surprisingly if anything it's got more and more extreme that kind of intertwining of commerce and and music but what he did do was draw attention to it in a way that um that other people didn't manage to do and it made it part of the discussion and since then over i suppose 20 or 30 years again and again he's done this sort of thing so he was an early protester against the second gulf war 
and uh, released a number of songs and an album basically decrying the Bush administration's behaviour uh, in Iraq. He's been a long-time campaigner against the oil industry and the XL pipeline, which is a very controversial pipeline from Canada to the United States. He's been involved in the ongoing debate about music streaming itself, actually, and, and, and Spotify. His main beef with it was not financial, which is what most musicians uh, have a problem with in terms of how much money they manage to make out of the whole thing these days. It was about the quality of the music, the music, the compression of digital music, which is required to stream it on music services. I mean, you think digital music has done what to music? Well, it's certainly made it into a uh, content. Yeah. So it's content now. It's not music. It's content. <laughs> when, uh, uh, you know, and it's a cons- it's consumer content. Yeah. So when music, when I was it's playing, not the sound music, that you. It's not the feeling and the whole thing. Right. It's consumer content. It's almost <laughs> like consumers are little lemmings, and here's your little cheese. You know. And he actually went to the extent of setting up his own personal music streaming service, yeah. which only lasted for a year year or so, but then it went belly up. It is just a little player and a huge uh, uh, ecosystem supported by the player called yeah. Pono World, and and uh, these are all the songs that everybody knows, and and except now that you can hear all of it instead of just a small percentage of it, which the MP3 is is capable of producing. I mean, you think digital music. But to be fair, on that issue as well, um, it was taken on board Tidal, which is a somewhat more commercially successful music service, took on board some of those issues. And more recently, some of Spotify's competitors like, like Amazon have done so too. So it would be fair to say, I think, that maybe Neil Young hasn't changed the world, but he's done a lot more than most musicians have to raise awareness of, of a range of issues. And I think he's done that again here. Coming up, as more artists join the Spotify boycott, what impact will it have on the streaming service? And of course, Neil Young isn't acting alone because last week he was joined in his boycott by Joni Mitchell and Niels Lofgren of the E Street Band. Has that added much force to the protest, do you think? And does it have more impact than just Neil Young acting alone? It's kind of, uh, I mean, to be fair, these are are all great musicians. I mean, they haven't troubled the charts for an awful long time, although their songs still resonate down the years and in many cases are listened to enthusiastically uh, by by much younger listeners. but, you know, they're, they're no Adele, let's put it that way. So they have a kind of a moral force, but probably not much of an economic force. And you were asking earlier on about, you know, this has been framed a little bit as a, in a Neil Young versus Joe Rogan punch up who wins. Well, there's no doubt whatsoever that Joe Rogan wins in terms of his commercial importance to, to Spotify, which is not to say that Spotify and the other services, um, they don't value a lot the idea of having every single major artist on, on their platform. And in the past, they've gone to quite an extent. Adele actually didn't put her music on there for one album about five years ago. And before that, there was a a long running contretemps with Taylor Swift before she finally agreed to go on the platform. So it is important to them and their brand that they have everybody on. Uh, But it's a funny kind of a business music streaming. Um, It's not like the license to print money that some other digital businesses are like like the like Instagram or, or Facebook. It's actually quite a tight margin, which people may find surprising because musicians in particular describe it as 
basically a form of, you know, legalised piracy in terms of the money they're getting. But the margins are still incredibly high in terms of the royalties that you have to pay on the content. So there has always been a question about Spotify. It is the biggest beast in the music streaming jungle, but there are competitors out there who have deeper pockets like Apple and like Amazon, and it always needs to stay ahead of the the curve. And that's where Joe Rogan's importance, I think, really comes in and why they were they were so keen to pay him such a huge amount of money to to get him on their platform, because at that point they realised they were not where they needed to be in the podcast area of things as opposed to the music area of things. And that has been very successful for them in the last three years. Could we talk about the likelihood that this protest might snowball? I mean, you've we've three artists involved now. But where is Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran, Adele? And I, I wonder where the likes of Bruce Springsteen are in this, because you mentioned the, the hip replacement generation. Like Bruce Springsteen would be very much part of that generation, although he'd probably hate me for saying that. But where are other artists? Do, and do you get a sense that this is something that could grow and grow and grow? I actually don't get a sense of that. Um, I think that... Um, okay, Nils Lofgren is the connective tissue, I suppose, between Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young because he's he's played in both their bands. But really, not many people are going to join a boycott because Nils Lofgren is is on it. You know, let's be you know let's 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 be frank about that. I think people will sit back and say fair play to Neil Young. Um, I mean, interestingly, it has had some effect. I'm not sure if you want to talk about that now, but we've seen some effect from the boycott over the weekend. Spotify now announcing it will add content advisories to all podcast episodes that discuss the virus. Spotify CEO Daniel Ek not naming Rogan, but saying... The fact that that has happened probably means that it's less likely again um, for for lots of other people to, to, to jump on it. And the reality is that for artists like um, like Neil Young, artists of the veteran generation, maybe Bruce Springsteen a little bit less so, this is not how they make their money. They probably have enough money anyway, frankly, most of them. But this is not how they make their money if they want to make money these days. They make their money by by live touring uh, and to some extent, a phenomenon which you see a lot these days, selling their back catalogs. Um, they can usually make huge amounts of money that way too. They're really not going to make a lot of money out of Spotify. Of course, Joe Rogan issued a, a sort of must-do-better statement uh, last weekend. What did that statement say? Well, it was very interesting, really. It was quite short. It was about six or seven minutes long. It's a video, just him speaking into his phone. Hello, friends. I wanted to make a video to address some of the controversy that's been going on over the past few days. And And he said a number of things. One thing he said was that Spotify had suggested putting a sort of a health warning in front of those podcasts that featured people who were outside the scientific mainstream in the opinions which they were putting forward. Which I think is very important. Sure, have that on there. I'm very happy with that. So that's obviously a discussion that he's had with with Spotify over the last while. And you could argue that that's a, you know, that's a concession of sorts. And he also said, and I found this particularly interesting, that in future, he was going to give more consideration and more thought into offering all the different points of view on contentious issues, including the views of those who might be regarded as being in the scientific um, or political mainstream or establishment. I don't want to just show the the contrary opinion to what the narrative is. I want to show all kinds of opinions so that we can all figure out what's going on and, and not just about COVID, about everything, about health, about fitness, wellness. Which is kind of interesting if you think about it. This is one of the most powerful media figures in the world and he never thought about doing that before. 
it kind of gives you an insight into the the actual process here and how there's a strange kind of a disjunction or an imbalance between on the one hand is huge huge media power now and we really sh- we really can't underestimate that i mean if you'd look at his you know american media peers people go on all the time about the influence of fox news hosts like tucker carlson or sean hannity their viewership is only half what joe rogan gets on a on a podcast every week i didn't plan it I can't believe it's as successful as it is. It was never really an idea that I had. I, I, the, the podcast started off as just fucking around with my friends and having fun and talking. And then- so he has this huge influence. And yet it's kind of put together in a basement still um, and off the top of his head. And he's got a small team and he makes it up as he goes along. You know, I do all the scheduling myself and uh, I don't always get it right. And oftentimes I have no idea what I'm going to talk about until I sit down and talk to people. And that's why some of my ideas are not that prepared or fleshed out because I'm literally having them in real time. So that is, I suppose, an inherent reality of these kind of podcasts. They are insurgent. A huge part of their brand is that they're not part of the dreaded mainstream media, that they come from a different place, that they have a kind of a level of authenticity. And with that authenticity comes a kind of a slapdashness. I even noticed in the um, in this in the six minute a little video that he made. He talked about how much he loved Neil Young's music. He had an anecdote about being a security guard at a at a Neil Young concert when he was a teenager. Brawl started breaking out and it started getting crazy. And I was like, fuck this. So I put my hoodie on, I zipped it up and uh, I left and I drove home. And as I was driving home, I was singing, keep on rocking in the free world. He talked about how much he appreciated Joni Mitchell's music. Definitely no hard feelings towards Joni Mitchell. I love her too. I love her music. Chucky's in Love is a great song. Which is not a Joni Mitchell song. It's a Ricky Lee Jones song. So either he was taking the piss, um, which I actually don't think he was, or he was just wrong again. And that's bound to happen quite a lot when you produce podcasts the way he does. Do I get things wrong? Absolutely, I get things wrong. But I try to correct them. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. And how did Spotify respond over the weekend? Well, Spotify has been, you know, attempting to be polite. It issued a statement in re- in response to to Neil Young's original statement, saying that they would they would regretfully take down his tracks. And they have it, it, quite interesting to watch the process over a couple of days. They don't just disappear all in one fell swoop. Presumably, somebody's there taking them down. You can see them popping out and disappearing and turning to grey um, over the course of two or three days. They would probably rather not have this, although you never know. There may be an element here of Streisand effect. Um, there, there may be people listening to this podcast who never heard of Joe Rogan and might have a listen to him now. That's that's always a possibility with, with these kinds of spats. It's probably not that great for them. There is a danger in this very competitive marketplace that people could decide, oh, Spotify. Spotify is the is the conservative music streaming platform and Apple or Amazon, absurd though it may seem, is the more left-wing uh, media platform, even though they're represent- representing two of the most powerful uh, corporations in the world. So they don't, they don't really want to fall into that trap. So I think clearly, going by Rogan's statement as well, there have been negotiations by- taking place and there have been discussions taking place about that. I don't think it's done them any 
real harm? Do people stop listening to Joe Rogan? I doubt it. Do people move off Spotify? I doubt it as well, because there is a sort of a, once you achieve that kind of critical mass, like if I took, if, if I decided, I've had it, I'm switching off my Spotify account right now, my entire family would not be happy because they also have all their playlists and everything and we have a, a family account. So, um, if, you know, if I, if I want to keep, keep, things, uh, keep things pleasant at home, I'm not going to do that. To come back to your point, which I think is correct, there are valid criticisms of Rogan, there are valid criticisms of the podcast, but it's not the case, although some people claim it is, that they're uh, that they're platforming fascist alt-right propaganda on a regular basis. It's a little bit more nuanced and complex than that. That's all for today. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.